You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. We got Andrew keeping an eye on things. He's here opening the door. He's letting people in. He's doing Bible studies. He's making the place available for people. This, uh, this church is designed for people to come and to be able to serve the Lord through it. And so we want to make it as available as possible to have Bible studies and different things or seminary courses or whatever we got to do to get it ready so that all people everywhere can hear the gospel and we can have a part of it. And so I thank you men that do that. I thank the ladies that do all the cooking and the cleaning and all the stuff that gets done here. A lot of stuff going on. I hope you'll sign up for some of that stuff and give us a hand. Some of those people would like, like some help, I'm sure. All right. So we left off a few weeks ago talking about the initiation of the first church as it was established. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 again today. And what it looked like, and I know many, there's a lot of traditional things. If you come to this church very long, and I know a lot of you have come for a period of time, and you see that we do things somewhat differently, but still somewhat traditional as far as you would consider church. You know, we sit inside, we sit as a body, we face one direction. None of these things are necessarily biblical, they're not unbiblical. We have one guy that generally preaches, though we have other guys that fill in. Um, but a lot of churches, if, if you're not real careful, you start talking about what we got going for a church, and you start talking about other people, what they got going for a church, got to be careful because a lot of things that they hold very sacred, very dear, they're not necessarily biblical, but they're not necessarily wrong either. Um, they, they get involved with tradition. Most people, and I've told you this before, what you know or what you think you know, this is you. This is all people. Somebody that you trust deeply told you it, and you believed them. And that's why we know what we know. Somebody we trust, they told us about it, and we're like, okay, that makes sense. I believe that. And it's only by trial and error and experience in life when you have other experiences and things like that, or much better is when you're a Berean and you read the Word of God for yourself. And when you read the Word of God for yourself, and we're going to see that today, a, a, a constantly being obedient to hearing the apostles' doctrine. When you hear the word of God preached rightly, when you seek the word of God um, as a Berean, then some of those things that people told you that weren't necessarily true, it kind of causes a little uh, dissonance in your thinking, cognitive dissonance, they call that, where you, you think one thing, but then you hear something else, and you're like, these two things, they don't line up. I can't figure out why they don't line up, but they don't line up. And when that happens, what you need to do is you need to let go of these things that you think you know, and you've got to go to God's Word, and you're going to do whatever it is God's Word tells you to do. I call that the Forrest Gump principle. Do whatever it is you tell me to do. It's easy. What should I do? I do whatever God's Word tells me to do. What if this man says to do this? Then I take what that man says, and I take it, and I run it through God's Word, and if God's Word conflicts with what the man says, then I do what God's Word says, and I just let what the man's word says go. I don't have to go back and beat the guy up. I don't have to go back and call him a her heretic or a false teacher or anything. I just got to do what God's word tells me to do. If I do that, everything's going to be good. Every man's salvation is very individual. God speaks to each man individually. He saves each man individually. You worry about you. You worry about your salvation. You get that straight, then go and evangelize the lost. Don't beat them up with weird doctrine. Evangelize the lost. That's what Jesus did. It says he went about um, uh, 
uh, healing people from the oppression of the devil and doing good. And the biggest oppression the devil did was he keeps people lost. He keeps them confused. He keeps them in darkness. So that's what you should do. Lead people to the gospel. Go about doing good. Can't go wrong with those two things. Be careful on the beating them up on uh, which kind of dispensationalist or what kind of uh, rapture, uh, you know, me, pre, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, whatever. Don't worry about that. Get them saved. Speak the gospel to them. That stuff... You know, maybe we see the rapture, maybe we don't. I wouldn't worry about that. I'd worry about whether or not they were going to die and be lost in their sins. The uh, 100, and I looked it up today, 166,842, more or less, people die every day. Two people a second. And you're worried about whether they're mid-trib or not. But you worry about those that are dying and going to hell. Worry about that first. That's what the church needs to be doing. We worry about the evangelism part first. Then we build them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord as we develop them in the things, the simple things of the body. We can do that. We can do that. We can talk about the different aspects that it talks to increase the body, to build the body, to encourage one another in the faith and so on. And down the road and you're old and gray and you got nothing else to do on a Saturday night, then get out your uh, John Calvin book and start reading about Calvinism. But take a second before you go there. And get the word of God hidden in your heart that you may not sin against him. Work on that first. Work on evangelizing the lost second. You can worry about that other jazz later. Maybe Christ will come before you have to figure that one out, right? All right. So the early church, when we're talking about church, so many people, they think of church as this right here. like the, not, not the people, but the building or the chairs, the structure, the steeple, the flavor. Uh, the Catholic or the Baptist or Lutheran, whatever whatever franchise you go with. Um, and that's not the church that Christ describes or that he desires for mankind. All believers, all believers in Christ are the church, the church body. And it's just like you like eating at, uh, I do not like to go to McDonald's. I'm not a fan of their food and, um, or the quality or whatever. But some people love McDonald's. You can like McDonald's. And I can like, you know, whatever, Whataburger, which happens to be the best hamburger there is, and it was originated in the great state of Texas. So it's a great hamburger. If I had to pick between Whataburger and and, uh, McDonald's, I'm going to Whataburger every time. Doesn't make Whataburger better than, oh, it does. It is. It's better. It's better. (laughs) Doesn't make me more spiritual to go to Whataburger and you to go to McDonald's, though. And I heard a pastor today, this morning, I listened to a little blurb, and he was talking about all the charismatics. And there's a half a billion charismatics out here, and they're so far off, and they're essentially lost. I'm like, easy, man, easy, because we're talking about the body of Christ. Those are, they're saved people, believers in Christ, in the charismatic, in the Pentecostal, in the assemblies of God, even in the Catholic church, I dare say. They're saved people there. Be careful when you talk about the bride of Christ. Be careful. Give them the gospel. If you're not sure, just give them the gospel. And leave it at that. If they want to talk about doctrine, say, hey, man, I got an appointment over at uh, Whataburger. And leave. But don't get bogged down in that. Give them the gospel. Lead them to Christ. And let the Holy Spirit work on them. That's the better way. And I don't believe that's just my opinion. That's just how it is. So be a Berean at all times. Read the word. Study to show thyself approved. And be merciful, okay? So here's this. 
Here's what we don't have a record of that early church doing. I told you this a couple weeks ago. What we don't have a record of the early church doing is having a big Christian concert and inviting lost people to it in order for them to hear the gospel there. We also don't have a record of lost people. I, I meet a person that's lost that doesn't know who Christ is, and I take them and I introduce them to the apostle for the apostle to lead them to Christ. We don't have a record of that either. The apostle led the believers in the apostles' doctrine. The, do, the people understood what the gospel was, and then the people, the individuals, talked to friends and neighbors and co-workers and whatever, and they gave the gospel. And people received the gospel with joy, and the church grew in that. But they didn't take them, and we, we have it. I mean, people do come to churches and get saved. People come as a friend, and they come to a church, and they hear the gospel, and they receive Christ. It does happen, but that's not the general design of Christ. Uh, the gospel is best spread outside the building. Acts 3, um, we have um, Peter and John going together to the temple, on the outside of the temple, they begin to preach the gospel, not inside the temple. They meet people on the outside of the temple. They, they heal a lame man outside the temple. They begin to preach the gospel outside the temple. In chapter, Acts chapter 4, Peter, he's in the consulate. He's before, it'd be like us going to the, the city hall down here, and they're having a city hall meeting, and he stands up and starts to give the gospel outside the temple in the consulate in the group of the Sanhedrin. Lydia was met at the river. Cornelius was met at his home. Um, Ethiopian eunuch was met on the road, was baptized in a pool beside a, I can't imagine what that was like. The gospel is spread outside the building. Can a person be saved inside the building? Yes. Better, more likely, is outside the building and then brought into the fellowship. That was the plan of Christ for the spread of the gospel. Like Kevin said, the gospel of Christ was to be carried to the lost with the, the donkey, or however you carry it, by individual messengers. You carry it. Um, here's another thing. A lost person, we think of a person being lost, especially like if you want to think of it as like a child. A lost person doesn't find themselves. Very rare. Well, we do see examples. You can read Voices of the Martyrs where somebody had a vision of Christ or something. But in general, if you read what they say, they say, well, I had this vision of a man, and he said, go meet a man, and he sends the person to go meet a man who tells them who the Messiah is. That's almost always how it works. Even today, Christ does not present himself in dreams and visions, generally, to people. He sends them to a man, and then the man tells them, he is the Messiah. You witness the Messiah. That's the Savior of the world. Interesting. Because you would think if God, you know, Christ shows up in a dream in your bedroom and says, I'm Messiah, believe in me, that you would believe right then. He doesn't do that in general. Uh, reading a lot of Voice of the Martyrs, um, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs and all those things, that most people, 99.9, .9, receive the gospel from another person giving it to them and not from a dream or a vision or an angel or any of those things. It all comes from another person. I suppose there could be a different one, but a lost person doesn't find himself. A found person, a saved person, finds a lost person, a person who knows where they're at, right? The Boy Scout's lost in the wood, and then the, the Boy Scout troop leader goes and finds him and brings him back to where the people are. If he knew where the people was, he'd already been there. He's lost. you got to go to the lost guy, and you got to bring him to where the found people are. 
So the establishment of the church has little to do with a building or a music or a youth group, uh, Sunday schools or quarterlies. It has very little, if nothing, to do with those things. Those are all things developed by men, not necessarily wrong, in order to develop people more in the faith. Some of the things, like Sunday school was initiated, they just used the Bible to teach people to read. That's how why it was kind of started. There were so many people that were illiterate. They were like, all right, we're going to have to start a Sunday school. We'll just have school on Sunday, and we'll teach all these illiterate people how to read. We'll use the Bible as the basis for it. And sadly, what's happened with Sunday school, if you go to a, a, a normal church and not an abnormal one like ours, is they'll have a thing called a quarterly. And in the quarterly, it'll have a big, long thing, and it'll have about two scriptures in it. And everybody will sit there and tell each other about their problems in Sunday school. And that wasn't, that's not even the basis of the design of Sunday school. It's what we do with everything. We take and distort things over time. It's like playing post office, if you know that game. You know, we just distort it as time goes on. Sunday school, they were using the Bible to learn to read and write. And now we go to Sunday school to have, you know, fellowship or fun time or whatever. So we've got to be careful with those things. Okay, so we got a little confused on the meaning of the word church. And it's that, that word, the called out. Ecclesia, the called out, the body, the fellowship. But it's called out. It's the called out of the world into Christ. Here's the trick, to go back into the world. So you are called out by God. Some God sent a messenger. You know how blessed you are, every one of you, that God sent a messenger to you at some point? You know how it was, right? Somewhere, somehow. And they, and they gave you the message and then they brought you into the fellowship. That's why you're here, right? And then the design by God is that you hear the word here, like the Ethiopian eunuch, and you go away glad. When I'm glad about something, I tell people about it. When I go to Disneyland, well, I wouldn't go to Disneyland, they're the devil. If I went to Dollywood, right? I went to Dollywood and I had a great time. When I come back, I come back and I brag to Charlie Alva how... What a knucklehead he was. He didn't go to Dollywood with us. We had a great time. You should have come. They had sausages on a stick and one of them things called fry bread or whatever. It was great. Right? We come back because we're glad. We're excited about the experience we had, and we come back, and we can't help but tell people. I received the gospel. I remember as a kid running around the house so excited when I received the gospel. I didn't even know what I was being saved from. I was real small. I'd say six or so. And I'm just running around. And my parents were probably beating me to make me stop, you know. But I was so happy that I was free. I didn't even know what I was freed from, but I was free. I'm just running around. I just remember that. I was glad. I received the word. I went away glad. I came. I ran around the house. I was beaten for my head. No, I don't know if I was or not. But I just, I was glad. When I'm glad, I tell someone else. We receive the word. You receive the word. So many of you receive the word a long time ago, and you've lost your gladness. And you quit telling people. You need to get your gladness back. So the early church was the probably the most correct church. It did had no title. It wasn't the Catholic Church. I don't whatever the Catholics say about Peter being the high priest of Catholic Church. It, it, no, Christ. Christ is the head. Christ is the head. There's no man that replaces Christ. Christ is the head. Go to Christ. Christ takes you to the Father. Don't go to Peter, go to Christ, go to the Father. It's go to Christ, go to the Father. That's how it is. So we get off track with stuff, and we get off kilter there, and we start making things that seem to, to enhance the fellowship. But let's look at what the New Testament church was truly to look like. Acts 2, 
Peter, in, in verse 38, so Peter is accumulating people. Peter had the gospel. He was an apostle. He's giving the apostles doctrine. This, this word's going to come back to, to be heard again there. Peter said to them, in verse 38, they're like, what should we do? We've done all these things. We killed the Messiah. What should we do? Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received, look at the word gladly, received this word, were baptized that day. About 3,000 souls were added to them. And this is what they did. They received the word gladly. Now look what they did. This is the first church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them amongst all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You see Sunday school in there? Do you see the Anglican church guy with the giant pole with the bronze cross I was telling you about a couple weeks ago? It's not there. Do you see the special robes that the apostles were? Not there. Do you see the Sunday finest clothes? Not there. Do you see the separate Sunday school for children and from adults or separate me? It's not there. All those things came on as men tried to fine-tune what God put together, and we, we botched it. That's what we do. So look at the things. I want to break it down to four things. There's a lot more going on. We're going to break down this one verse just with these four things. And it's in verse 42. Here's how we build the New Testament church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Four things. Uh, the apostles' doctrine, number one. Fellowship, number two. Breaking of bread, number three. And prayers, number four. We can say prayers and worship if you want to do that. So continuing in the doctor, apostles' doctrine, that's, that all scripture is God-breathed, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you have the word of God, thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. When you have it hidden in your heart, the entire word of God, then you begin to think differently. Many of us are pretty bad about not being consistent in putting in more of God's word but the, the psalmist says, I hid it in my heart. I'm going to need it later. I mean, the only reason I carry stuff is because I need it later, right? When you go to the field and you got your backpack and you got your sleeping bag and you got some, you know, snacks and something to make fire with and a knife, something to keep the bears off you, whatever. You, you, you put it in there because you're going to need it later. I hide the word of God in my heart because I'm going to need it later. Jesus told them, you got the word you don't have to put a bunch of study in this when he told the apostles. He goes, you got the word. Don't think about what you're going to say when you're before rulers and people in authority. I'm going to give you the word to say the Holy Spirit's going to draw up from you what's already. It's got to be in there, though. And then the Holy Spirit's going to draw it out of you, and you're going to speak it in that moment, and you're going to have the right word. I tell you, I've told you before, Jimmy Baldwin, you got like a bad situation. You need the right call on Jimmy. He's got the right word every time, man, especially if you're like dying, sick unto death. Somebody else is dying. Call Jimmy. I'm telling you, he can pull it out. 
He just has the right word. Uh, Dave Pritchard was another one. Charlie Alba does it good too. Um, where they just can pull the right word out at the. It's, it's got to be in there first, though. They got it in there. That's why they can pull it out. If it's not in there, they can't pull it out. They start giving human, uh, what's the word, psychology or philosophy. It's got to be the word of God. I went on, I was telling somebody, I went on a mission trip one time, and a girl from our church that went with us started giving advice to a, a Peruvian woman about how she should treat her husband. And I had to take the American girl aside and say, look, you're giving her American views on husband-wife relationships, but that's not biblical views. You're seeing the marriage like we have in America where, the, you know, women can vote and women can do all this jazz. They don't have to work in the home. They don't have to help in the home. They can do whatever they want. I said, that's not how they do business here. You can like it or not, but what God has put together, let no man tear asunder. And you're tearing their marriage asunder by saying, you don't have to do that for him. You don't have to listen to him. And you don't have, I said, you better use the Bible to speak to her about marriage things and not what your opinion is, your Americanized secular opinion Though you may be a Christian, you don't realize how much of what you know you've picked up through secular things. Use the Bible to exhort and to confront and to, and to build up and to edify. Use the Bible, not your opinions. But you've got to know the word before you go give the word. You've got to know it. It's got to be in there. So who knew better in the apostles' doctrine than the apostles? Why did they know? Because they were right there with Jesus all the time. And Jesus, if you recall, go back and read the word. Everybody says, well, why do you read the Old Testament? Jesus is New Testament. Or Jesus quotes the Old Testament. That's what he speaks. He speaks the Old Testament, and he puts it in proper context. And for the first time, people understood what it meant. He's the commentary on the Old Testament. I did not come to abrogate the law. I came to complete the law. Not one jot, not one tittle of the law will ever be removed, ever. He completed the law. I'm what the law looks like, walking around in the flesh. Let me show you how to, um, I'm telling you, they're working on the plumbing right now. Uh, Strong just did a good demonstration out the back window, man. That guy, like I said, our deacons are always helping, always helping. It threw me off there. Sorry. Hmm. Strong's one of my better friends, but he's a little weasel sometimes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, Jesus came to complete the law. Um, he's speaking the law when he speaks. He's not making up new stuff. He didn't abrogate the law. The only person I've told you before, abrogate to abrogate something, the only person that can abrogate a law, the word, is the same person that wrote the law. It just means to change the law. It can't be abrogated. I can't, um, uh, we have an odd system, but in general, uh, whoever wrote the law is a king. The only one that could change the law was the king, the guy that wrote the law. It said the king of kings, the king of all creation, God the Father, wrote this law. I will not change it. But I will show you what the actual letter of the law means. You have read it this way, but this is what it means. And that's we do that all the time with stuff. We hear stuff and we say, oh, it means this. And somebody else says, that's not what it means. And then they explain and you go, oh, that's what that means. Because we don't have a, a clear view of the big picture that Christ had. He understood how God the Father thought and taught and, and spoke and was in his personality. And he was able to relate that to men. Because he was a man, he could talk to men in a way that men would understand. He could dumb it down. So we need the knowledge 
of the Most High God, and we can gain it by those who knew him best, those that were the apostles. The apostles had been with him. They knew what the word was. We say, well, all the things of the, of the gospel, um, and we talked about this this morning, the gospel is more than just that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died a, a death on the cross, a sin for all mankind, all the wrath of God poured out on him, was put in the grave, died completely dead, three days later rose from the tomb, and 500 witnesses at least saw him alive. And he sits today at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. That is true. But there's a lot more going on in the Bible. If that was all there was, then we could get around with the, we could just get by with the gospel of John and we'd be set. There's everything from, from like I said, there's everything from taking care of your children to your wife to, to community to neighbors to government to who God is to who man is to how to talk to your donkey when your donkey talks back to you. It's all in there. It's all in there. There's, there's so much stuff in the Bible, things past, the creation, things to come, the revelation, the, the Proverbs and all the things. Look at the things of Proverbs. There's everything from handling money to handling uh, hard situations to being uh, morally pure. And, and I mean, there's a thousand million things in there. So the apostles' doctrine is being developed. And what did Paul say? I'd like to feed you meat. But right now, you're only capable of eating baby food. So the gospel's the baby food. The gospel's the salvation. And then there's the development of the believer that makes him into this changed person. You've met people, and they'll tell you, and you don't believe them because you meet them as an old person. They say, I was wild as a buck when I was young. I was doing this. I was doing that. Um, and then you meet them as an old person. They're kind and gentle and loving and long-suffering and merciful and wise. And you're like, where'd that come from? Oh, that's the word of God dwelling in me. Because I didn't have that when I was young. You know? So the apostles' doctrine is more than just the gospel. It begins with the apostles' doctrine, and then those people were developed, and you'll see how they were developed. First Timothy two, three through five. I wanted to read that to you. Such a solid verse. I just got the wrong one, I think. Oh, that's Thessalonians. No wonder. That doesn't look right at all. Uh, two, uh, three. For it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And then it says of Paul, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles of faith and truth, in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that all men everywhere pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, and like, likewise talks about women and all these things. Paul didn't stop with just the gospel right here. He started with the gospel. Then you got the rest of 1 Timothy. Then you got 2 Timothy. Then you got Corinthians. This is how you act at church. This is how you take communion. This is how you deal with your wife. This is how you deal with unbelievers. This is how you deal with idolatry. This is how you deal with eating meat sacrificed to idols. This is how you deal with immoral sexuality. And then we got Ephesians and Galatians. This is how you deal with anger. This is how you deal with wrathfulness. This is how you deal with stealing. This is how you put on the whole armor of God so you can defend against the fiery darts of the evil one. And then, you know what I'm saying? This is Philippians. Well, I've walked this walk, and now I've run the race, and I've fought the good fight, and I'm at the end, and this is what it looks like to have dying grace and to, to be able to make it to the end without fear. And then 
It keeps going. It wasn't just the gospel. It's everything that pertains to the spiritual life of a person, of a believer in particular. So the apostles' doctrine was the absolute truth of Christ that they knew to be true because they had experienced it personally. And so for us, what do we do? We don't have apostles now, right? These apostles in general are viewed to be those that saw Christ in person, were taught by him personally. And Paul even counts himself an apostle born out of time because he, was, he becomes an apostle by having the witness of Christ on the road to Damascus and then apparently having time with Christ in the desert, a man three years in the desert, where he spent time learning directly from him, however God worked in that. And, and he says, but I'm born out of time. And so when you have people today say, well, they call, these, they call them the good apostles. Some churches call men, and these guys have had visions of Christ or supposedly spoken to of Christ or whatever. I don't know. Be careful. Because if they speak anything other than what God's word says, reject it. But we can take everything that the apostles told us, and we can know that it's true, and we can go to the book and discover if it's true for ourselves. And we can filter it through our life experience and see that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all injustice. God is faithful to fulfill the promises that he says he'll do throughout the whole book. He's faithful to do that. So we can trust in that. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. We see where that came from. It says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. And then look what he says. He doesn't stop right there with the gospel. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, uh, and rest your hope fully on the grace, and then start being developed. Watch out for false teachers. Then it says, uh, 1 verse 25 the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The whole word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You know where that's at? That's in Isaiah. That's in Job. That's in the Psalms. And then he brought it forward and he plunks it down in the middle of 1 Peter. And he says, all that stuff still applies. Remember, the word of God stands forever. All that stuff, the word of God. And the people of 1 Peter's day, likely was the only book they had. They received the book of 1 Peter, and they're like, wow, this is interesting. This seems a lot like what we heard back there in the Old Testament, but you've kind of put a fine point on it, and you showed us the gospel and, and what we're supposed to do with it now as believers. Um, 2 Peter one twenty one: For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The only reason these apostles knew what they were talking about was because they had been with Christ personally, and he opened up the scriptures and he taught them. And he told them. Remember that in the road to uh, Emmaus? And he, and he opened up the scriptures starting in the Torah and showed himself throughout the scriptures to them as they walked by the way. Then they get in the house, and he reveals himself as who he is, and they're like, oh, we should have known. Who else would know how all these scriptures work together? Only Christ would. Acts 10, 43. Hmm. 
to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Peter, Paul, James, John, Timothy, Titus, and Jude, etc. all have to start with the gospel, but they don't stay with the, the, the gospel per se for their entire teaching that they gave to the people. We need to be reminded of the gospel, and we, we speak about it often, but that's not the whole of the apostles' doctrine. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The first church and every biblical church to follow should be exemplified by the following of the apostles' doctrine, that which was given by God through the Holy Spirit to his personally chosen messengers, prophets, scribes, and apostles to speak and to write down so that with man there could be no excuse for knowing God or for not knowing God in his glory. It all had to be, it all had to come the way God chose to speak through the prophets, through the, through the messengers, through the judges, through the scribes, through the apostles. That's how he chose to write his word down. People say, well, these were written down by men. Yes and no. It was all scriptures God breathed. It's the very essence of who God is, and men wrote it down. There's a scripture in Jeremiah where it talks about him writing a scroll and giving it to the king. And the king takes the scroll and he throws it into the fire and he burns it up. And Jeremiah and his scribe Baruch go back and they rewrite the scroll. It says basically verbatim. In fact, they added some things to it to make it more detailed. Could you do that? Could you write a letter even to your mother or someone you love and then accidentally catch that one on fire? You have no record of it and then go write the exact same letter? Few people could. Jeremiah did. How? Because the Holy Spirit spoke to Jeremiah and he said, write it down. And he wrote it down. He's like, oh man, they burned it up. <sighs> okay, write it down. <laughs> what about Moses? He takes the law. He comes down the hill. He breaks the law. Oh, what was on there? Huh. And so he goes back up and he writes it down again because it's not given by man. It's given by God to him. It's the same law. It's never abrogated. It's the same, the apostles' doctrine. Number two, fellowship. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. There's a bunch of passages in the Bible. I won't jump you everywhere to that relating to Christians having fellowship. Uh, Hebrews 3, 13, exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 4, 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. There's so many warnings in the word of God about the breaking of fellowship, so much of what we desire truly, it, it's so natural in men, God made us this way, to be with other people, particularly like-minded people. We say, uh, I mean, that's why they got the Elks Lodge. That's why they got the Masons. That's why they got the, you name the other one, the Lions Club and the whatever, Gideons. That's why they got all those things. Be, part of it is they have a perp, they have a desire, a like-mindedness, and then they want to gather together, those people, whoever they are, they want to gather together and they want to uh, sort through different things and have an impact, however that works. And it's just men desiring to be together. But God calls us to be in fellowship with one another for a very specific purpose. And the purpose is different from all those other clubs. In all other clubs, the main reason you join the club is for you. Because you're bored, you're lonely, and you need a place to drink a beer and eat a fried steak on Friday night. That's why you join. With God's fellowship, the fellowship of his people, we join for the other brother. We also join so that our faith is enhanced. 
It gives us the exhortation, exhort one another daily while it's still called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And we meet one another and we say, man, how's it going? And, and, and people, you see people that have negative things going on in their life. A lot of times the first thing they do is they withdraw from the fellowship. Why? Because they don't want to be exposed amongst God's people, God's people. That's why they leave. But when they're true to what's going on with them and they're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to them and they're not allowing themselves to be dragged down by the deceitfulness of sin, they go to their brother and say, man, I am struggling with this. My wife, my kids, my job, my money, my sexuality, my intelligence, my whatever thing, my car. (laughs) And we go and we get around other brothers and sisters in Christ and they go, man, we need to pray about that. We need to ask for God's insight and his wisdom in this. Have you been reading Proverbs lately? I bet you've not been reading Proverbs. If you'd go back to Proverbs, there's that one Proverbs, you know, about the about wisdom, preparing a table. Go back to Proverbs A. You need some wisdom, man. You're missing some wisdom. You're missing some discernment. Man, we need to work on the discernment part with you. We could just pray on that. And then, and then that guy can be free to express himself to you. You know that scripture where it says... Uh, to confess your sin one to another, it's we, we think, and you've been taught maybe, that you're supposed to go in front of the church and like, I solemnly swear that I, whatever, took the Lindbergh baby or whatever, whatever you did. And, and uh, it's not, the, that's before your time. I swear I robbed the liquor store on 5th and whatever, whatever bad thing you did. I had a different past than you realize. Anyway, the, the, um, that's not the point. It's the person that you harmed. It's the person that you offended, that you go to, and you confess your sins where I talked behind your back and I told other people about a secret that you told me or I revealed this thing that you asked me not to reveal. That's what it is. It's not going up. I don't have to express my sins to you. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not you. I got to get the relationship right horizontally with you. I got to get it more right with the Father above. Confess it to him. Deal with the part where you've harmed the brother, and that's enough. But that's part of being in the fellowship. Well, I don't like that guy in the fellowship. Well, me neither. Get over it because he didn't like you either. But God loves us both, and we're both really fallen and really broken. He's forgiven you of a lot. Forgive this man of a little because you're due a lot of forgiveness from the Lord Most High. You've done way worse. Well, maybe not you. I have. Look at this Hebrews 10. 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What are we doing that? We're doing that in the fellowship. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. We're doing that in the fellowship. I need to be reminded because people get sick and die that I love. People uh, harm me that I thought were my friends. People blasphemed my name and maligned me in front of other people, and they cost me my job, or they, they messed me up in some way or another. And I need to go in amongst the brethren, and I need to hear the word of God from my brethren, and them encourage me like, this ain't the end. Faith is, is long. Faith takes a second. Hang in there. 
not forsaking, it says, verse 25, the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Do we see the day approaching? The bad days are coming, man. Economic bad days, political, spiritual, whatever. It's all bad. But as we see the days approaching, why would we separate ourselves from the body when what we need the most is that guy telling us, hey, man, the Lord is faithful and just. He's coming back. He said he's coming back. Remember, he's coming back. He's coming back on the clouds. White horse, sword. It's going to be good. He's going to defeat all our enemies. When you die because you're sick and you're dying, there's going to be no more sorrow and no more tears, no more suffering. The old things are going to pass away, and I'm going to hear those things, and I'm going to be encouraged to go out there and do battle for the next week. Hold on. We, we need the fellowship. We tend to emphasize that part in Hebrews about not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves, but we need to identify the need for the fellowship. We don't go like we do to Lions Club, if you're in Lions Club. I'm not trying to besmirch Lions Club, uh, but we don't go to church as a club for fellowship to meet our needs that we have, emotional needs, although those needs are met there. But we go there for, to receive the full assurance of faith. And for our hearts to be cleansed of an evil, evil conscience and for our bodies to be washed, it says, for us to remember to hold fast the confession of faith. That's why we go. That was all in Hebrews right there. Holding on to our hope without wavering. That was all right there. That's why we go. I say, well, I can meet the Lord out there in the woods. Sorry, man, you're lying to yourself. You might meet him there. You might spend some time there and hear his voice on time. But he told you, he didn't give you that option. He didn't say, come to the woods and see if you can find me. We'll play hide and seek with God. He didn't say that. He said, assemble together, exhort one another, encourage one another, build up one another. That's what he told us to do. The next thing, uh, so that's fellowship, so we maintain fellowship, so that we maintain a growing and a vibrant faith. When I see you abound, I want to abound. When I see you growing, I want to grow. When I see you failing, I want to encourage. When you see me failing, I want you to encourage me. When you see negative things happen to me, I want you to come to me. You see I need these things prayed for in my life, I want you to pray for me. When I see those in you, I want to pray for you. Anyway, third thing was breaking bread. We're almost there. It says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in the breaking of bread. And I've heard it many times, you have too, that this is strictly speaking of communion services. They were meeting every day. And it says they went from house to house. I mean, you can have communion in your house if you choose to do that, that's fine. But they're talking about just a meal together. It says, praising God, verse 47, uh, whoops, uh, verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness. That's more than a little piece of bread and a little cup of wine. They shared all things in common. It was generally poverty, but, you know, you put a, you put a, a lamb bone in the pot with some beans, and there you go, meal. And so they're eating together, and it's the thing that breaks down the barriers when we eat together. It breaks down the, the hardness of heart. We see that the rich and the poor have this in common, that they both eat, you know. And we, we eat together, and we have a peaceful fellowship. It builds the community aspect. It's, uh, it's developed there. It's all the aspect of the cooking and the sitting down and the eating and the cleaning up and the talking and the working together. It's all of that. That builds fellowship and friendship amongst people. We continue the meal here at Plant Grow Harvest be largely because of this verse right here. And I know some people get more benefit out of it than others. Some of you are just greedy gluttons and you like to eat a lot. But some of you come for the fellowship 
And, and also some other people, man, this might be the better meal that they have all week. Um, there's a lot of single people. We have a number of single people that come and other people that live by themselves. Um, this is a nice meal. You get time around other people. You get to be encouraged. We get to talk about spiritual things, things that are on our heart and on our, our life. And we get to talk about them here and we get to work together and we get to do things. When we do things together, it builds, it builds community, builds unity of mindset. So the last thing is, uh, prayer or worship, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Look at Acts 4, 22. So a miracle occurred. Also, we see a, an escape from prison right in there. And look at the people's response to miraculous things. The man was over 40 years old that this miracle was performed on. And being let go, so now we got uh, the jailbirds being freed, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. Who is the mouth of your servant David? Who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people's plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, um, and they're, they're praising God and, and worshiping God because they saw the work that he did among the people. They came together, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer, one will say slash worship. The prayer and the worship right here is as a result of seeing the hand of God work in people's lives. They saw it. We saw an escape from prison. They saw it. We saw a man healed. They saw it as they stood before the Sanhedrin and were released. And they were able to give the gospel in front of the Sanhedrin. They saw it, and they wanted all about it. They wanted to do the, the, the resulting work of God rose up in them the desire to praise God for what they had seen. How can we see the work of God if we never proclaim his name outside of the fellowship? You'll never, you want to get fired up and excited, lead someone to Christ. You'll be pumped. And you won't be able to stand not to tell somebody else about it. And you, if you're a wise person, you would be wise to go and begin to study with that person the word of God and develop them in that and see them grow in that. And you'll be encouraged yourself. And in that, you'll be like, thanking God, God, give me another one. I can't remember the guy's name, uh, the little soldier there, and that was his prayer. He was a conscientious, conscientious objector in World War II, and uh, that was his prayer to God, Lord, give me one more. And he was rescuing people during the Battle of Okinawa, and he rescued over 100 men and drug them across this battlefield. And each time he'd get the guy back to the edge of the cliff, he'd say, Lord, give me one more. And he'd crawl back over there you know, and drag them back, Lord, give me one more. Lord, give me one more. May I have one more person be saved. May I go on one more mission trip. May I reach one more person with the gospel. May I encourage one more person this day with your word. Could I encourage him to read the word? Could I encourage him with a Bible tract or a gospel of John? We've got tons of them back there. Give one away. Give a couple away. Write it down. I gave the gospel of John away to this lady, and she was so happy to receive that, and I was very encouraged by that. Write it down. Write it in your Bible. Because we forget stuff. We forget how good God is. And then we can pray about it. Then we can praise him about it in the fellowship together.
How's that for a plan? Good plan? So the prayer and worship was effective and profuse because of a couple things. This is the conclusion. The apostles' doctrine that they held to. You're going to do a better job of proclaiming the gospel to someone else if you know it yourself. You can only give the gospel as best you know it. But you should give as much of the gospel as you know, regardless of your level of training. They want to start arguing with you about, well, what about evolution? Don't even go there. Just say, look, man, all I know is I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and I can see. The Lord, by his mercy, saved me. I was a lost man going to hell and now I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. If that's all you got, give them that. They start arguing with me and say, hey, you ain't arguing with me. You're arguing with God. There is a God. The fool in his heart says, no, God. And you're saying no, so that makes you a fool. See ya. And you go on to the next one. Just tell them what you know. Do the best you can to tell them what you know and go on to the next one. You can do it. But they could do it because they were familiar with the apostles' doctrine. They were consistent in hearing the word of God. They were consistent in studying the word of God. They were consistent in meeting with one another and breaking bread. When you're breaking bread, we're not just talking about, you know, the camel races or whatever. We're talking about spiritual things that's going to develop a person. And last, they were serious in prayer. And when they did those things, consistent in apostles' doctrine, consistent in fellowship, consistent in breaking bread, consistent in prayer and worship. They saw God's hand move, and it says many people were added to their number. We can do it. We are a New Testament church right here. We have the cap capabilities of all those things. All we got to do is do it. Can you do it? Can you give out one Gospel of John this week? Sure, one. Don't be a chicken heart. You can do it. You can do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you now with the word of God in hand. Lord, the word that is spoken, I pray, is the word that you had for us today. I thank you for these that came. I pray, grateful for their patience in listening. I pray that they heard the word with gladness and that they received the word and that they'll use the word for your glory, Lord, as they go about this week. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, Lord, and your blessings on us. In Jesus' name.